right, all right, day 179. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're um in the thick of the book of Isaiah. So chapter 25, um, we get this hymn of praise to Yahweh, to the God of the universe in response to the oracle of judgment in the previous chapter. So remember in um, chapter 24, we talked about this worldwide judgment that was the climax of the previous section. And it, it ended not with uh, you know, judgment being the final word, but God having this final reign, right? Where he was reigning on the throne. And so chapter 25, though, is praising God. Hear this, though, um, in response to his judgment. And it's interesting that he essentially Isaiah is going to say that um, God's judgment is actually good news. <laughs> and we tend to, to, for, to forget about why this would be good news, but in this sense, it's interesting because um, one of the reasons it's good news is because God's judgment is a fulfillment of his promise. So in other words, um, what he's saying is, is that God, you've kept your promises. You've kept your covenant promises. And that is a reason to praise you. You've kept your word. That is a reason to praise you, right? You promised that if there was rebellion, judgment would follow. It was, it, it wasn't a threat. It was a promise. You ever heard somebody say, that's not a threat. That's a promise, right? And God shows his consistency in his character and in what he says. He He says what he will do and he does what he says always and forever. And so this is a reason to praise the Lord here. And it says, yo, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness, clear in the text. Then he goes on to say this. If we have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins, the fortress of barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. He's going to play off this theme of the unnamed city. So in the last chapter, if you paid attention carefully, the city that he was talking about was unnamed. And we see that he continues this ambiguous place uh, in this chapter. But what he's saying is this. So remember in uh, 24, the, it was talking about the whole earth. And so what he's saying here is that this unnamed city represents collectively humanity in rebellion against God. So all human tyranny and oppression that exists upon the earth will be undone by God. No, no, it will be undone. All right. He goes on to say that the Lord here now will be a stronghold for the poor and for the needy, something so much greater than any city, any destructive city of man or empire or uh, kingdom of man that was built uh, and that was unjust and turned against the Lord. Uh, he says this stronghold, the Lord will be a stronghold for the poor and the needy, something so much greater. And he says in verse six, I love it. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat. A feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. Uh, if you didn't know, we're going to eat um, uh, uh, Ruth Chris in heaven, right? Ruth Chris Steakhouse will be <laughs> in heaven. And all Isaiah is saying here is that this future salvation for the people of God will involve this wedding feast, right? In other words, Israel had feasts they were to celebrate, right? Passover, unleavened bread, feast of booze, um, Pentecost, all these different feasts. And they were denoting, they were pointing back to, in some way, shape, or form, the victory that God had accomplished. So, in other words, the end-time wedding, right, will be this wedding feast 
um, the end time uh, feast, excuse me, will be this wedding feast of the lamb, as Jesus says it, right? The feast of all feasts, right? That celebrates the victory that Jesus has uh, accomplished in his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and uh, heavenly session that he's accomplished. And um, we will be with him, right? We will have prime cuts, right? And wine. We will eat in heaven. And this is why Jesus, in places like Luke 22, Mark 14, right? He takes the Lord's Supper and he mentions that he's like, yo, we drinking wine right now. But he's like, nah, y'all will not drink it again. Guess what? Guess the next time y'all gonna drink it? In the kingdom. He says, in the kingdom of God. So what Isaiah is saying here, and it's so hard, um, is that there will be this feast with God's people, and um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you listening here right now will be there uh, if you place your faith in Christ as well. And um, yeah, it will be on the Lord's holy mountain. There's so much we could say about this mountain theme and how we'll worship the Lord on his holy mountain um, that runs all throughout the scriptures. But he goes on to say that um, when he has swallowed up death once and for all, this is verse eight, uh, the Lord God will wipe away the tears mm, from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken the apostle paul will echo the beginning of this verse in first corinthians 15 um and show that the hope of the resurrection is god proving that he has swallowed up death and he connects uh, that text with this one and he shows that one day finally he will raise our bodies right and he will not just raise our bodies but he will also dry our eyes right and i think it's just uh, such a good promise in scripture and it's all in revelation as well that um our tears are temporary, right? Our tears are temporary. And so um, we can, yeah, get them all out now because there will no, be no more crying when we're with and in the presence of the Lord. There will be fullness of joy, as the psalm says. There will be fullness of joy. We'll enjoy the deepest pleasures uh, that are humanly possible. Isaiah 26 comes, and he begins to speak about the praise that was spring forth from the land of Judah and saying that, yo, basically, we're going to praise God, right? And he's saying, like, yo, in light of the salvation and judgment that he brings, we're going to praise him, right? We will be a strong city. And he goes on to show what that means. He mentions that there will be this peace that will surround God's people. And we tend to think of peace in our Western well, um, if, if you live in America, you're our Western kind of individualistic mindset, we think of peace as just this inner calm and tranquility. And that's a very that's a very modern understanding of peace. But in the Old Testament specifically, peace was the absence of enemies. Right. That's what he means in this context. There will be no more enemy or military invasions. There'll be no more political crisis or religious crisis. And so here he's like, no, in the kingdom, we will have true peace. Right. Because. Um, our enemies won't be around. Now, how do we apply this uh, as Christians on the backside of the cross? What he's saying is this, because the enemy, Satan himself, sin itself, the flesh and worldliness will be all done away with, our peace will be unending, right? Our peace will come and it will flow and it, and it comes and flows now even through our trust in God. And so he he brings this idea up and we tend to take this verse out of context, uh, Isaiah 26, 3. Um, and apply it but anyway but yeah like he's, he's just saying that at the end of time when the lord brings his ultimate salvation on the earth uh peace will be unending the things we get a glimpse of now <laughs> the harmony and peace we get a glimpse the shalom right we get a, a, a glimpse of now will be uh here full throttle unceasing unending and i love it because in 26 it's interesting that he um continues remember isaiah is talking about real life stuff he's talking about the the, the injustices that are going on amongst god's people and amongst the nations and he's like no those fates will be reversed right there will be a reversal of fates um those in this life who who trample on the poor and needy uh will will, will be no more right 
Um, but he says the poor will trample on the proud, right? And that's just a poetic way of saying where, um, that the poor will now be on top. They will now be exalted. Those who were destitute and treated, um, uh, who were mistreated, will now uh, reign uh, with the Lord. And I love the back end. He says, yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgment. So he's saying, no, no, we're waiting on this thing to come. Our desire, I love this, is for your name. Mm. Your, our desire is for your name and your renown. Verse nine, I long for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me diligently seeks you. For when your judgments are in the land, the inhabitants of the world would learn righteousness. I love it. He's saying, no, no, we are de we're, we're desiring you, God. We, we are desiring creatures. Our desires and our loves ultimately tell us who we are, right? And here, one of the marks of the righteous, this is Isaiah talking. This ain't even KP. One of the marks of the righteous is that your chief and highest aim and desire is for God himself, and for the fame of God's name, right? The fame that he would be lifted up, that he would be glorified. And this is what Isaiah is saying. I know that's what we long for. That's our hope. That's our heart. Because at the end of time, that this prophecy ultimately will be fulfilled in, at the end of time, that's, that will be a true reality amongst the entire earth. God's name will be buzzing all throughout a creation. He will be seen and exalted as the most glorious being in the universe because he is the most glorious being in the universe. And our job now, before we get there, is to live that end time rea uh, reality out now in our present reality, right? That's what Isaiah is calling for. And then I love where he moves in, in 27. Isaiah is so smooth and, and it's so much in these texts. Oh my God, it's so much. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah 27, he calls it, he's like, yo, Leviathan. He talks about this cat, Leviathan. Who's Leviathan? Leviathan, uh, mentioned in 20, uh, Isaiah 27, comes from Canaanite mythology. And he is known as this vast sea monster and creature that represents evil and chaos. So, so, so what Isaiah is going to do, he's going to use cultural terms to speak of real spiritual realities. Right. So here in this context, there's a contrast because before God will bring judgment on physical evil and chaos and unjust nations and sinful world systems and the proud and the arrogant. Right. But here Isaiah is saying God is going to take a sword and slay what is behind all of it forever. Right. And the, the Leviathan here represents the serpent. Right. The serpent from Genesis three. Right. And the dragon who who, who who is a dragon, the sea dragon he's talking about here, Leviathan, um, comes back up in the book of Revelation. So the Lord is going to slay him. He's going to slew him. He's going to un he's going to do away with the enemy. Right. And that's no, no. Like that's the best news in the world. Right. Like the evil that we experience, the suffering we experience, the problems we experience on earth have a source. <laughs> they have someone behind them. Right. And he said, no, no. Satan is real, chief. No, no, Satan is real, fam. And he's like, God is going to do away with him forever. Jesus is going to do with it, away with him forever. And he has already defeated him in a sense at the cross, holding the podcast. But um, he's going to do away with him forever. And he says, um, verse six is so hard too. He says, uh, in days to come, um, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and bloom and fill the whole world with fruit. He echoes back to Genesis chapter one, where, where, where God says the very first command in the entire Bible, Genesis 128, he says, no, 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 be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. And he says, um, he takes that imagery from Genesis and he says, no, 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 God's people will one day, listen, be able to fulfill the original commission through the great commission, right? He says, Israel will actually be fruitful. 
This is again, this is why Paul brings up the fruit language, this is why Jesus brings up the fruit language. Like that they're picking from Isaiah. And they're saying, like, in a sense now, because of the work of Christ uh, and what he's done, um, that has been fulfilled in a sense. But it will ultimately be fulfilled at the end of time when we will fill the whole world with righteousness. Right. And he says, therefore, Jacob's iniquity will be atoned for. Right. In this way. And the result of the removal of his sin will be this. When he makes uh, all the altar stones like crushed bits of chalk, no asherah poles or incense altars will remain standing. He's talking about the uh, final destruction of idols one of the reasons we know that the god of the bible is the only uh one and true god is that um he will he is all he has always been and he will always be right he has always been he has always existed god has existed before time itself that's a that's a, a whole whole another podcast as well but god has existed before time wow then he exists now, right, as time goes on, and then he will exist at the end of time, right? There will be no more idols. The idols that we uh, place our hope in now will be done away with forever. And he talks about this renewal. And again, I, it's so much. Isaiah talks about this renewal, fam, and it's so hard because he says in verse 12, he says, let me let me just read it, uh, 27, 12. I don't want everyone to paraphrase. <laughs> on that day, the Lord will thresh grain from the Euphrates River as far as the Wadi of Egypt, and you Israelites will be gathered one by one. Hmm. On that day, a great trumpet will be blown and those uh, lost in the land of Assyria will come as well as those dispersed in the land of Egypt. And they will worship the Lord at Jerusalem where on the holy mountain. Amazing. What does he say? So he says um, that the Lord will thresh grain from the Euphrates River to the Wadi of Egypt. Anytime you see uh, from the from the river of the Euphrates to, to, to um, the waters of Egypt. You have to remember that in the Old Testament, what is that? What do those boundary markers represent? The promised land. That's the land. So in other words, God is saying, no, no, I'm going to bring you back into the land. I'm going to restore the land. I'm going to bring a new creation. I'm going to restore my people. Then he, after that, he says, yo, no, no, y'all went to Assyria and y'all went to Egypt. I'm going to bring you back. So, so, so God is saying, even though I exiled you, even though you, you get exiled, I'm going to bring you back into the very land I promised Abraham. That, that same, those same geographical markers are in Genesis chapter 15 when God made the promise to Abraham. Listen, God ain't going to forget nobody. He says one by one, every head, chief, every single head. I'm, no, 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 I'm different. God is like, I'm different. I'm not going to forget nobody. Everybody that is appointed to be in my kingdom will be there, will be there. So that gives us hope, man. That gives us hope. That gives us so much hope. God ain't going to forget nobody. God will not forget you even if you're struggling right now some of us may be struggling right now some of us may not be reading the word some of us may not be walking with god in the way god has called us to god ain't gonna forget you he's not gonna leave you behind one by one he will restore his people so good i get so hyped isaiah 28 um 28 into this episode but it marks the beginning of a new section in the book where isaiah is going to um present these six woe oracles these oracles of judgment while he uh like he like he always does but he uh essentially as well is going to sprinkle in hope like he always does right and the first takes all of chapter 28 and it's against samaria right samaria capital city of the northern kingdom um uh when the kingdom split after solomon's sin right and so in the first four verses god uses the metaphor of samaria being a drunkard right to those that are under his wrath remember the the, the drinking of the cup language right where jesus jesus even says so he's like um he's in the garden of gethsemane he's like yo uh, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And what he's using is this language from the prophets. <laughs> he's using this this language of the wrath of God that 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 that, that confuses, like in the, in the same way that uh, drunkenness confuses and makes one stagger. Um, uh, uh, God's judgment is is is, is like wrath, or ju God's judgment is wrath that makes one stagger as well uh, into um, his his judgment. And so verse seven comes, 
and he shows that um in this time in Samaria, he's like, you're like, why? Like, why, why is this going to happen? Uh, there wasn't just political mismanagement in the life of God's people. There was also spiritual mismanagement in the life of God's people. And he condemns the terrible leadership of the priests and the prophets for not leading the way and as they ought in God's nation, right? And so he's clear about that. But again, he always, bro, it's just so crazy, bro. I'm, Oh my God. He always comes with a message of hope. Verse 16, he says, therefore the Lord God said, look, I've laid a stone in Zion. Come on a tested stone come on a precious cornerstone come on a sure foundation the one who believes will be unshakable shakable 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 yahweh is saying no 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 that the only way to be saved from this coming onslaught of judgment the coming onslaught of assyrian captivity that samaria did experience in 722 pc right the only way to be saved from it is to be saved in the same way that people are saved now <laughs> by the provision of god by the, by the means of him providing a way of salvation, right? The stone here represents the place of the promises of God and the presence of God at the temple. And I only know of one person in the whole universe <laughs> where these themes are fulfilled. And it's in Christ, our sure and solid rock, our foundation, our cornerstone. And and to the extent that we are connected, united, and have faith in that cornerstone, not only is the cornerstone unshakable, we are unshakable as well. Every promise that God has for you is going to come to you. Everything that God says is for you is going to happen for you. Everything that God uh, declares on your behalf will take place on your behalf. And it's because you are part of and connected to and in the unshakable rock the cornerstone jesus himself let's pray father we praise you for your great acts of judgment and your great glorious acts of salvation we ask lord that we will live our lives in a way today that honors you and testifies to the